On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, now that it's a bona fide hit, can Wonka actually get a sequel? Also, Star Trek IV is officially still happening, as well as a prequel movie they've got developing. Kevin Hart is saying, you know what? Award shows aren't conducive to comics anymore. Mandalorian Season 4 is officially still happening, despite the fact that they're doing a Mandalorian movie. And hold on to your butts, Top Gun 3 is actually happening at Paramount. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet, the John Campy Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campion, it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but hopefully giving you some background and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the same or different than ours. Uh, joining us today in studio, we got Ray Ora. Hey, hey, hey. Jonathan Voiko's here. Hello, everybody. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. Greetings. And most importantly... You guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those topics that I just listed off. Then in the last part of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. Now, we already asked our beloved YouTube channel members. By the way, all those of you who are channel members, thank you so much for supporting our channel by being channel members. To fire in some topics and questions, we've gathered those up. But also, if you are watching live right now, you can use the Super Chat feature and send in some thoughts, theories, opinions, or questions. And we'll address those at or near the end of the show. All right, guys. With that all down, let's get things started here, shall we? You know, Wonka has very quietly just sneakily gone on and made a lot of money at the box office, which kind of raises the question, because in Hollywood, big money usually equals sequel. Could that happen here? And that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a topic for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call it in anytime 24-7 to our hotline at 951-268-4259. And today's question is specifically about Wonka. Check it out. Hey, John and crew. This is James from Tennessee calling. So I'm curious, with the success that Wonka has had, do you think there will be a sequel? And more importantly, I had a theory. Willy Wonka seems like the kind of guy who would be okay with having a multiple choice pass, kind of like the Joker. Do you think if they do do a sequel, maybe it's just an anthology of like different kids' theories of like what Wonka's origin story actually is because he is such a mystery? Again, just an idea. What do you guys think? Thanks, and keep bringing the selfie. All right, James, thanks a lot for calling that in. Let me address the second part of your question, though. I don't see them doing a Joker kind of thing where one story, he's got this origin, and the next story, he's got a different origin, and he's constantly telling different stories. I I've never gotten that feeling that this is that type of character. So I'm going to put that aside and say, no, nah, I don't think they'd do something like that if they made another one. But has it made enough to justify doing a sequel. Well, like I said, very quietly, Wonka has gone on to make over $470 million at the box office. That's on a $125 million budget. And very sneakily, it's become the 12th biggest film of 2023. Actually, we go over to the classroom and take a look at this. This is how 2023 has shaped out. Barbie obviously was number one with $1.4 Super Mario number two at $1.3 Oppenheimer 
just short of that billion dollar mark at 954 million. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at 845 million. Fast X, even though it made no money in North America, internationally, you know, hey, people still love family. It went on to make 714 million. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse did huge compared to its original, making $682 million. Uh, the Little Mermaid made $568 million. You might want to refresh that, Jonathan. Uh, at number 10, uh, Mission Impossible. Actually, that should have been number eight. Sorry about that. Number eight, I got the numbers wrong. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning made 568. At number nine, Elemental made 486. And right now at number 10, and again, I've got, I forgot to correct the numbers there, but at number 10 is Wonk at 471. Now that number is still going up. Now, some of you may be saying, John, why is that counted 2023? It's now 2024 and it's making money now. Remember, box office counts a movie whenever, in whatever year the movie debuted. And Wonka came out in late 2023. So any money it makes in 2024 counts towards 2023. Again, it very quietly is in the top 10. And a lot of people are saying it's going to crack that half a billion dollar mark, which is a lot more than most people ever thought this Wonka movie would make. And... Honestly, a lot more than a lot of people thought it would make when you saw its opening weekend box office. It didn't have a particularly impressive opening weekend box office. I mean, it was okay. But this is one of those movies that, like the movie right ahead of it, Elemental, <clears throat> very quietly just kept getting more and more box office because word of mouth just kept going around. This is a delightful movie. And I was really happy to see Wonka get the success, particularly after I saw it. But is it enough for them to want to go back and make another one? And I don't know if there is. I mean, it's definitely a win. They're going to make $200 plus million in profit by the time it's all said and done. But is that something you go back for another Wonka film to do? Because let's be honest, too. You go back and make another one, you're not going to be able to make it for $125 million. Mm -hmm. You know? Timothy Chalamet's price tag is only going up as he's becoming arguably maybe the go-to actor in Hollywood right now. You know you're, they're going to want more Oompa Loompas. And the reason they were able to keep it at about $125 million is because as great as he was in this, the reality is he wasn't in a lot of the movie. And I assume if you're going to make another one, it's probably going to be about Wonka now establishing his factory and bringing over the Oompa Loompas and all that kind of stuff. And that's going to make this a more expensive proposition. So would I rule it out that they would do a sequel? No, I won't rule it out. But do I think even if it hits half a billion, which it looks like it might, I don't know that that's quite enough for a Wonka to get a sequel. That, And I don't think Peter King wants to come back to do another one unless, you know, we're talking about a movie that made $800 million. Anyway, Rob, uh, Wonka very quietly became a big hit for the studio. Good on them. Is it enough for them to do a sequel? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, the value of, of Wonka as a franchise. So this is the second. Warner Brothers, you know, you've got the Gene Wilder original. This is the prequel. There is two Willy Wonka books. You know, there's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and then there's Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Now, he goes into space, and there's aliens, the vermicious knids. And when I was a kid, I loved that book. I read both of those books over and over and over again. Now, I don't know if they could do a Victorian alien space movie with Wonka. <laughs> I'd that, watch that, it though. That phrase alone. 
Can we just like, can that be the <laughs> Can we pitch? just simmer on that? For <laughs> there you <laughs> go. But, but I mean, that's actually, that takes place after Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, after the Gene Wilder when the, because you see the Great Glass Elevator take off and break through the ceiling. And that's the end of the original movie. But in the, the second book, they go into space, to a space hotel. Now, um, yeah, I, to answer your question, John, yes, I think they could make a sequel to this because, look, if this cracks half a billion for this kind of a movie, I mean, relatively inexpensive for a studio picture now at $125 million, because if they make another Wonka film and, you know, you have the director of Paddington, maybe he'll come back, I don't know. But it then makes, you now have a trilogy of movies that exist I mean, unofficially, an official trilogy, but the the it makes the whole franchise more valuable and viable. I mean, it depends. If you can keep the cost down, you have a good script. Obviously, I think Timothy Chalamet is... I finally caught up with this movie, and I liked it. Um, Timothy Chalamet is, uh, I think, great in the role. Warner Brothers is in the Timothy Chalamet business. They've yes, got they Dune, Dune 2 coming out. And, and I think, you know, if they keep the budget relatively the same, why not? Why not make another one? Is it warranted now? I think it's on the, as they say in TV, it's on the bubble. Right. It's yeah, like if it bubble. made $700 million, I think it probably would have been a no-brainer. They would no have brainer. found a way to do but it. But if it becomes a huge hit on SVOD or 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 uh, on cable and people watch it and they look at those analytics, very possibly. You know, Peter King is kind of becoming the master right now. Because I don't think Wonka is as good as Paddington. No, right? I don't either. But what Peter King was able to do again... He has become the master filmmaker of making an audience's heart smile. You know, you you watch Paddington and you're just filled with joy, you know, watching that. You're just filled with your heart smiles watching it. And I found a lot of that same, not to the same degree as Paddington, but that same delightfulness, that same whimsy and wonder and innocence, you know, that Peter King has just become so good at capturing. And I, I don't know how, but if they do a sequel... Not only do you have to get Hugh Grant back, I mean that that's but I really think you got to get Keegan Michael Key back again as well. I thought Keegan Michael Key in this as the police uh, chief was so so good. Anyway, guys, question is for you: Is half a billion enough for them to go back and do a sequel to Wonka? I think Rob's right; it's right on the bubble. I don't necessarily think they will. I think they need more of that. But whatever you guys think, let us know down below. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Star Trek, they just keep rolling with new stuff. And, you know, I think we will about a lot of the things. Their current series, well, at least what I'll call their current series, uh, Star Trek. Uh, what's it called again? The Do, Kelvin Universe. No, no, no. Uh, the, 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 the new series with with uh, with it's Pike. Strange it's New World. Strange New, new World. What's yeah. that discovery? Um, is my favorite Star Trek series since Star Trek The Next Generation. Star Trek The Next Generation is still my favorite. But since then... Strange New Worlds has been my my next favorite. I've absolutely loved it. Uh, and they've had some hit and misses, whatever. And we found out a little while ago that the film franchise, that they were finally, at least they say, going to make a fourth film in that franchise. <laughs> now, I thought the last one, part three, didn't do so great at the box office. I think that was a direct consequence of how underperforming and underwhelming part two was, but I really liked part three. I think Simon Pegg was one of the writers of part three. Like that a lot. <clears throat> Looking forward to seeing it coming again. Well, apparently, according to Deadline, not only are they still moving full speed ahead on part four, but they're also developing a prequel movie. This comes to us from Deadline who said the following. The studio has tapped Toby Haynes 
For those of you who don't know, he kind of did that Star Trek episode of, uh, what's that? Yeah, USS Callister of Black US, Mirror. Of Black Mirror, right, which got a lot of people excited. The series tapped Toby Haynes to direct the new film that expands on the Star Trek universe with Seth Graham Smith penning the script. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot is producing. Sources tell Deadline that while plot details are being kept under wraps, the project is an origin story that takes place decades before the 2009 Star Trek film that rebooted the franchise. Insiders add that the final chapter in that main series, Star Trek IV, remains in active development. So they say that's still happening, but it sounds like they're going to take a shot at a prequel. Okay, let's get Star Trek IV out of the way for a second. I like this cast, although I'm sure it's becoming an expensive cast, but still, I like this cast very much. I like the tone and the feel. Some of the films have been better than others, but I like the tone and the feel. I've been really wanting to see a part four, and I like the fact that they're calling it the final chapter, so they know they're going to make this as the final one, so I'm looking forward to that. The idea of a prequel is interesting to me because I have a hate-hate relationship with prequels. I don't like the idea of prequels in general, right? Not that there haven't been prequel stories that I haven't enjoyed. There have been. There have been exceptions. But in generally, just philosophically, I like stories moving forward, not backwards. That being said, the origins of Starfleet have really remained a very, very untapped thing in the Star Trek. I mean, yeah, you had that one Star Trek movie where they uh, first contact, where they first broke warp and the, the Vulcans show up at the end. Okay, yeah, but that's a moment. Yeah, you had Star Trek Enterprise, the series that kind of delved into the formation of the Federation. That was Scott Bakula, right? That yeah. was the Scott Bakula one. I'll be honest with you, probably my least favorite of the Star Trek series, but it, it definitely had its upsides too. But still, like the actual origins of the Enterprise and that whole thing, that is just really something that has not been covered in on-screen stuff, and it could be interesting. Interesting if it doesn't deal with you know, 12-year-old Jim Kirk and his buddy, 14-year-old Bones McCoy. Getting into mischief. Up, you know, like the little rascals <laughs> getting off into mischief, you know, tinkering on starships. As long as they don't do that, if it's a totally different group of characters, <laughs> it could be interesting. It, it, it could be, in theory. It depends on what the idea is. I, I really like the names attached to it. Anyway, Rob, um, <laughs> you hear about this. What do you think... In principle, about the idea of going back and telling kind of like a, a an origin story, if you will. Well, Star Trek Enterprise is a prequel. Star Trek Discovery is a prequel. Star Trek Strange New Worlds is a prequel. And Star Trek 09, which is the first of the J.J. vs. Kelvin movies, is also a prequel. Because you see the Kelvin, where George Kirk, Kirk's father, is killed in the beginning. Right. And then it jumps forward 25 years. And you, you even see young Kirk rip off a car and drive it off a cliff in a quarry in Iowa or wherever. So, well, I read this announcement, John, and I was perplexed, to be honest. I'm like, okay, so it says this takes place a few decades before Star Trek 09. Well, a few decades before Star Trek 09's, the majority of that movie takes place, is the beginning of Star Trek 09. Because it's 25 years before Jim Kirk gets old enough. We see his birth, and then we see him in his mid-20s when he joins Starfleet. So I'm asking myself, and if you go, say, 25 years before that, that's about 50 years after the Federation's formed. So I'm like, what, what is this movie? 
Like, what is it the origins of? Like you said, the formation of Starfleet or the, the formation of the, the Constitution-class ships or whatever could be interesting to delve into. But I feel that, you know, one of the strengths of the Next Generation era, Next Generation took place 80, roughly 80 years after the original series. And it moved forward for the 18 years of the Berman-era Trek. You had Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Those all moved forward. You know, they move, it carried the franchise forward. Really interesting. You saw various aspects. And while Discovery has leapt a thousand years into the future and Star Trek Picard season three takes place later and, and Lower Decks takes place later, it would be nice to see Star Trek move forward. And I, I don't understand why Star Trek as a franchise keeps doing prequels. Like we've been seeing prequels since 2001 when Enterprise debuted. Maybe they feel it's more like we can relate to it because it's closer to our time. Frame. I know, but that's it's such a weird thing because yeah. you know, look, Rogue One I thought was a great prequel because it had a new story. Andor, in a way, is telling us the showing us yeah. the beginning of the rebellion. Things like that can work, and if they did something like that, I think maybe it would be interesting. And I do like, um, but the guy, the writer they've hired has done like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. You know, and, and he's done some good stuff too, though. You just cherry pick the worst thing on his resume. You cherry. Well, that was a novel. Oh. Yeah, it was a novel. He's a novelist. You know. Maybe they could do something like look. Hope, hope springs eternal. I always want Star Trek to be good. Maybe they could do something in along the lines of God. I'm not comparing it to Godfather too, but in terms of I was, it's, a, it's a prequel and it connects to going forward too. So you know what that happened there in the same film are affecting. I like you know. the way you think. If they did a Godfather 2 version of Star Trek, I'm all in. How great would that be? You're all in anyways, no matter what they, Am they I? bring out. No. I think so. Listen, he's all in with my idea. You stay out of this. Let's keep talking. By the way, I also <laughs> want to point out the same guy also wrote the Lego Batman movie, which I think he is- He was one of the writers. Oh, yeah. He was one of the writers in that, which I thought he, he was the one who did the story of the movie, though. Yeah. So <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> as bad as Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was based on the book- I thought Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies was actually really good. I had a lot of fun with that. <coughs> Pardon me. But yes, he is also the one who did Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, <laughs> which is uh, just, just terrible. Uh, but everything he's done after that, I've kind of liked. So I don't know. He, he was uncredited on The Flash. We like The Flash. We like The Flash. Yeah, he was one of, one of the story guys on The Flash. And I, well, well, we'll see. We'll see. Everybody's got a bad day at the office. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move on and talk about this, shall we? You know, uh, the Golden Globes just happened where comedian uh, Joe Coy, who happens to be my favorite comedian in the world right now, even though he made one of the worst films I've seen in years in Easter Sunday, <laughs> which was just awful. Um, but he love you. <laughs> famously, on 10 days notice, replaced Cedric the Entertainer and the Vilmer guy from that 70s show. <laughs> Uh, to do the Golden Globes. Now, there, there's a couple of things about that performance. Number one, it was flat. I mean, it was a flat performance. I think primarily because comedians today on shows like that have to try to play it safe, and he did. But also, I think if he did those exact same jokes in like a 5,000 seat auditorium like the Oscars take place in, rather than in a room with 300 studio execs and movie stars... I think it might have gone over a little bit better. Still, that being said, a lot of comedians have come to Joe Coy's defense lately, saying, like, people just don't get what it's like trying to do that. You have to please all these different people and all this kind of stuff. Well, Steve Martin was one of those guys who came out 
Well, now Kevin Hart's kind of addressing this, where somebody just asked him if he would consider hosting the Oscars, <clears throat> to which he said this. This comes to us from Variety. Kevin Hart said the following. Whatever little hope you had, I want to destroy it right now. Those gigs aren't good gigs for comics. It's no shot to the Oscars. It's no shot to the Golden Globes or anything else. Just those aren't comedy-friendly environments anymore. I think they got it right one year when there was just like a bunch of personalities acting mm -hmm. as hosts, and that's a nice thing. It's a collaborative thing. Different people get to be responsible for Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, but you know, the days of it being a room for a comic, those days are done. And <clears throat> I think he's absolutely right. Because as safe, criminally safe, some people would say, that Joe Coy tried to play it, even then, I've read nothing but headlines in a lot of the entertainment trades of, you know, Taylor Swift asked to respond to yeah, jab taken by Joe Coy. That's guys. <clears throat> th these these trades are are they're yeah. stretching it. They're and looking then for what's uh, the, um, uh, Greta Gerwig? Yeah, you know she even uh, said Greta Gerwig responds yeah. to uh, and her she, response it wasn't was, a response. But, no, but it was all these trade like all these trades are like, oh my goodness, you took a shot at. He never took a shot. They didn't even at Taylor care. Swift. He never took a shot at no. Greta Gerwig. But like all the stuff is, oh, somebody was the button of a joke. And like they made it this big thing. So they're kind of like fostering this thing <laughs> yeah. where you can't tell jokes. And of course, we just go back to the Oscars the other year when Chris Rock told a joke and got physically attacked on stage. And then some fucking idiots actually defending the fact that he got physically attacked on stage for telling a joke. Um, Maybe that's the bar now. You have to get slapped in order for it. Yes, for it to really be something, you got to get physically assaulted. And I just think Kevin Smith or Kevin Hart is right about this, that these award ceremonies, they're not the place for stand-up comics anymore. It's it's just not a place for it. So So where did we go from here, John? What do you think? If it is, if it, if this is really where it's headed, no host, just 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 straightforward host that just announced the the award and honestly, then give them I think that's it exactly. No more I monologues. Think, listen, no more monologues. I think. Look, I've thought for a long time, and I've been very alone in this because sometimes it's lonely being right. But I've thought for a long time that I don't even think. Don't get me wrong. I love. Um, when Seth MacFarlane hosts the Oscars, I know that hosting gig got, gets a lot of bad rap. I really enjoyed Seth MacFarlane hosting the Oscars. I thought it was really fun. But I've always kind of felt like this is the biggest night of the movie year. Why are we going out and getting either television personalities or stand-up comics to be the host of it? Get a revered movie personality. You know, I, and listen, while it wouldn't be funny, I think it would it would add a different dimension to it. Just go out and get... Have George Clooney host the Oscars. Have Denzel Washington host the Oscars. Have, you know, I, I hell, Harrison Ford. And uh, thank you for coming out tonight. I mean, granted, that, that, might be, that one might be a little painful to watch, but still. <laughs> but I, I think maybe the time of them doing comedians, I mean, the only person who'd be safe is Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal, I think, is the only person in Hollywood who could get up on stage and do whatever he wants and everybody would go with it. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Kevin Hart is right here. I, I, I think it's been proven because, number one, the industries are now getting really puckered tight in their anal cavity. 
about it, but it's not just them. The audiences, and I'm talking about you people watching at home, I'm talking about everybody who does it, the audiences have become hypercritical of any stand-up comedian doing stuff at award show. It's literally become a no-win situation. So I kind of see where Kevin Hart's coming from. And maybe it's just time, Rob, to forget the idea of trying to get a comedian to host the event. I I don't know. What do you think about what Kevin Hart had to say? You know, I think, look, obviously you want to keep the atmosphere buoyant and fun. And like, like Billy Crystal being a movie star, he was on a TV show, he's been on TV shows and he's a stand-up comic. He had a unique skill set that he was really able to wield well, same way that Bob Hope used to host the mm-hmm. Oscars. And I think that those were guys that really understood how to, how to maneuver in between the, the, the difficulties of hosting a show like this. Yeah. But nowadays what's, this scrutiny, it's almost like we're setting these hosts up to fail. You know, the people that we, we, we cast in these roles, it's almost like we expect them to bomb or something. We're not with them anymore. Like I looked forward to Billy Crystal's opening, jumping through the movies, whatever, you know, Oscar, 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 you know, I, I didn't care what it was. I'm like, I knew I was going to like it. You know, it was fun. Now it's like, we announced these hosts. Nobody wants to do it. And, and there's a whole different attitude. Like, it's like, mm, let's see how they mess up. Yeah. And I, well, yeah, like, you either, it's like, you either, oh, he wasn't very funny. Or if he's funny, he was insulting. So it's like, or I she. Mean, Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I never get tired of going back and watching Ricky Gervais's opening monologues, even though they're all the same thing. Because he was so cutting, and we knew he was cutting, that nobody could complain because he stated with his jokes exactly what he wanted to state and you couldn't argue that well he succeeded but nowadays it's like what are people supposed to do like you said we're so sensitive everyone's so puckered up no one thinks anything's funny anymore everybody takes it personally it's like oh you can't say that about these people and i i i, I don't know if we'll ever go back to the day where people are having fun that people can allow a comedian to be a comedian it's so weird I think I do think people need to like take on the trades a bit going to John's opening point because man even Greta Gerwig Gerwig responded right uh he's not wrong so I mean it's just like they're they're trying to be like ooh what are you going to do about that and they're yeah, like nothing I, he was right look I you know, I'm often go back to the whole thing that uh, what are the two South Park guys names again Trey and uh, uh Matt, Matt Stone, Stone and Trey and Parker Matt and, Matt and Trey I still remember this one time they said this one thing. It's the simplest thing in the world, but I think it's absolutely true. We can either laugh at everything or we can't laugh at anything. And I, I think he's a hundred. I think those guys have always been a hundred percent right about that. We have to be able to laugh at everything or we can't laugh at anything. And <clears throat> I think that's something that uh, has, has been like becoming more and more relevant um, as as time has proceeded, but you know, we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know what? I think one of the other tricks is though, one of the other tricks is that, you know, we mentioned Billy Crystal or a Steve Martin, right? Or even a Ricky Gervais because half the time Ricky Gervais was making his most cutting jokes. They were about people who were actually buddies of his off camp, like who are actually buddies. Like everybody in the room knows Ricky. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Ricky knows most of the people that he's making jokes about. And therefore everybody knows it's a, a comfort joke. Level. Yeah. There's a comfort right? level. Or Steve Martin. 
everybody knows Steve Martin and Steve Martin knows everybody. So when Steve Martin can get on stage and rip a joke about somebody, you know, everybody knows this isn't fun because they know each other. One of the, I still think, I know you guys have heard me repeat this about 10 times in the last five years. <laughs> My favorite joke ever at the Oscars. It was Steve Martin and he, he was doing his opening monologue and he said, to me, hosting the Oscars is like making love to a beautiful woman. I only get to do it when Billy, Mar when Billy Crystal's out of town. <laughs> and, and I just like, look, it's, yeah. but, but everybody knew him and Billy Crystal are buddies. They can make that joke. Well, right? yeah. And you get somebody like a Kevin Hart yeah. or maybe somebody like a Joe Coy or maybe somebody like anybody else who not everybody in the room personally knows them or I, I, don't, I don't know if that's one of the factors as well and maybe that would help it a bit <coughs> not really sure I'm curious to know what you guys think about that do you agree with what Kevin Hart has to say that listen award shows aren't good gigs for comics anymore it's not a good atmosphere for it I think he's right but maybe times will change all right guys listen we still got to talk about the fact that even though we now know there's a Mandalorian feature film coming being directed by John Favreau they are still working on Mandalorian Season 4, which is surprising some people. And Top Gun 3 is officially happening. That and a whole bunch more. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick second and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Caper Show podcast, our friends at Masterclass. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, Masterclass. Everyone, it's a new year. So picture that thing that you've always wanted to learn. Now, picture learning it from a person who's literally one of the best in the world at it. And that's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Because Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, like I did, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or learn the art of storytelling from the man himself, Neil Gaiman. Masterclass has you covered. Because with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one -on -one classes with the world's best. At Masterclass, there are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes being added every month. And if you're a viewer of the John Campus Show, you probably love movie-making, storytelling, television. So you'd be totally interested in things like screenwriting from Aaron Sorkin. Learn developing original TV series from Stranger things as the Duffer Brothers. Or maybe you like the music side of movies where well, you can learn film scoring from Hans Zimmer. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash campia. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash campia. Masterclass.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? The, the movie world kind of got shocked a little bit a few days ago when they announced that that Mandoverse movie they were going to do and Dave Filoni was going to direct. Well, that apparently has kind of been replaced by a Mandalorian movie, Mandalorian and Grogu, that will be directed by Jon Favreau. Now, that instantly raised a lot of questions about, you know, the future of Ahsoka, which we found out they are going to do in Ahsoka season two, which we've talked about, but also... <clears throat> Does that then mean that Mandalorian season four is off the books considering they're making a feature film? I kind of thought that that would be the case, but apparently not. There's going to be a season four. This comes to us from CBR who write the following. Development on the highly anticipated The Mandalorian season four is still in the works at Lucasfilm. However, 
Further details about its plot and release date have not yet been revealed. It also remains unclear if production on season four would also be starting soon, given that the upcoming live action movie has been set to begin filming sometime this year. The newly announced project will be directed by series creator John Favreau. All right. <clears throat> this is really interesting to me because although they never said it in the movie announcement, I kind of thought that a feature film version of Mandalorian was going to supplant and replace any possible season four. But apparently that's not the case. Now, the big question that then comes up as they brought up in the article is, well, when would they do season four? Because they've already said this Mandalorian movie is going to shoot this year. That means John Favreau and crew already have to be heavily at work on this movie, doing all the development, previses, all that kind of stuff. If they're going to shoot sometime, say, before September, they've already got to be hard work on this. So when on earth would they develop a season four? Which then raises the question. So does Mandalorian the movie just set up season four of The Mandalorian, which seems like a really stupid thing to do, I'm not going to lie. Or are they going to rush into production any minute now on Mandalorian season four and have that season culminate in what would be the movie? Which again, to me, doesn't seem like a great idea, but I mean, whatever, seems better than doing it the other way around. So... I'm kind of fascinated by this, but they're going to try to do both. They're going to try to get us the next season in. Listen, I love The Mandalorian. I love it. But like a lot of other people who also love The Mandalorian, I wasn't all that thrilled with season three. Had its moments, <clears throat> had its episodes. But overall, season three, I mean, to me, will ever forever be Mando cracks the case by finding the business card of a droid bar in a dead droid body. <laughs> it's like, they didn't just do that, did they? Did they, they? Nope, they did that. They really did that. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in Star Wars. Dumber than, no! Just, or how coarse sand is. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Now, I didn't think it was total trash, like some people thought it was, but definitely the weakest. Still, I think the idea of a movie is great, I, I don't know if trying to do the movie and a fourth season is all that smart. Like, you're either making the transition to the big screen or you're not. I don't know, Rob, you heard about this. Were you surprised to hear about it? Will they do the new season before the movie, after the movie? What's the right way to approach this? What do you think? Well, you and I had talked about, like, even X-Files. You know, the X-Files TV series did five seasons. Then they did the movie, X-Files Fight the Future, that led into their season six. And that was Fox. So that was, you know, not unprecedented. But with this, I don't understand. I mean, obviously, if you're going to move something from streaming to theatrical, you want to give it a, make it special, you know, bigger, better. I don't know. I don't know what their strategy is here. I mean, maybe they have one. It just seems a little odd to me. I mean, I thought it was odd that the hero they're talking about making this Ray movie. And then they're like, wait, nope, we got Mandalorian and Grogu coming. Because okay, they insisted the Ray movie is the next movie we're shooting. Right. And then. And, and the, now it's no, this Mandalorian movie. Is the next we're movie shooting them. Shooting. And I understand why they've got all the tools. They got the talent ready. They can probably shoot a Mandalorian feature fairly quickly, get it up and running because they have so much of what they need to make it already. Mm. But they got the team in place. The team's in place. They just need the great script. And maybe they have that. Or maybe they got a script that was so good for the TV show, they're like, we should expand this into a movie. And they're like, okay. 
And so maybe the development of Mandalorian and Grogu was a direct offshoot of what they wanted to do with season four. And they figured, oh, we could take what we were already developing with people that we already have involved and turn it into a theatrical film. If the story was that good, because basically it's just two or three episodes of the Met, well, probably four half hour episodes. Yeah. But, but if they, I would imagine maybe that's what happened. You know, they were developing, they knew the shortcomings of Mando season three. They're developing Mando season four and they're like, yeah, this is a great idea. What if we made a theatrical feature that launched into season four? Because that would make sense. Why would you spin up production on a Mandalorian movie and then wait to do a season four when you could just do the Mandalorian movie and continue right on? It would make sense that you're going to make all of it at the same time. It, why wouldn't you? I mean, same production areas and all that. So it, it makes sense to me from a production standpoint. It, you know, it's like, why didn't they make Dune 1 and Dune 2 together? When you had everything there, I think it's actually really smart. And I would imagine that making a Mando movie, why not launch into Mando season five or four? However, to your point, if they do it together, then Mando season four has to have the quality of a film. They can't start switching cameras over nope. four. They can't start over uh, leveraging the, uh, the, the volume, the, the volume. volume. So, it's going to have to be on par if they're going to be using the same production budget. Well, what would be interesting is if you if you have the scripts written and you are using the same environments or whatever, you could block shoot it and be yeah. during the production of the movie, you could also be shooting parts of the episodes as well. I mean, that would be the best way to amortize the cost across multiple episodes in a movie. Right. But here's where I get worried. If you're going to make a movie, make a goddamn movie. Focus on the movie. Yeah. Put all of your energy and attention into the movie. And here's my fear. I'm not saying this is what they're doing. I'm saying this is my fear. Okay. My fear is, and I don't want to believe it, but is they're going to use the movie as a desperate attempt to get more people to sign up to Disney Plus. Yeah. That the movie is really nothing more than a marketing tool for their Mandalorian TV series, everybody, you're going to have to go up. You're going to want to go inside for Disney Plus now to see the continuing adventures of Mando. That feels very Chapek. <clears throat> That's the thing. It feels very Chapek. That's why I'm saying I don't want to believe it. But yeah. if it smells like a fish and it's <laughs> slippery like a fish, it might be a fish. Well, and and that really worries me. And, and, and even then, like you're 100% right. And talking about shooting two projects at once, it's financially responsible. There are advantages to that. But in trying to do that with something that's a TV show I know. and a movie at the same time, to me, that's telling me you're going to compromise the movie. And it really, really worries me. And also, John, you know, you talk about X-Files. When X-Files, when they made a movie, X-Files was a four-by-three TV show because we hadn't moved over to HD yet. Right. When you saw that movie, it was a widescreen Panavision. It looked different than the show. It felt and looked like a movie. Mandalorian's already in widescreen. So it's like, how are you going to differentiate this movie from your TV show? Are you going to give it some more polished sheen? Like, what are you going to do? And what is the reason? Why would people go pay money to see this in a theater when they know it's going to show up on Disney Plus and it's already been streaming for three seasons? You better have one heck of a great script and a reason for people to get out to the theater to see it. Otherwise, it just becomes a glorified TV movie. Which is fine. Now, uh, one of our viewers, Jay David, in the live chat, uh, is saying something that I think a lot of people are echoing. There, some he says they care about shareholders and stock, uh, not a good story. But see, I think this Disney 
understands that if you want good sharehold, happy shareholders and good stock, make good story. Well, Disney that's... was at its richest when they were cranking out great MCU content, right? And so you'd think they know that, hey, the, the crappier the stuff that we put out, the less money we make. They, they know there's a causality there, right? Of course. It's... Shareholders are also viewers. So that's a flawed... Yeah. You know, they yeah, want quality too. Uh, well, look, it's a it's a it's a motion picture entertainment company. Yeah, they're only as good as their entertainment. And yeah. Disney, you know, it's funny because in the early '80s, Disney was not that way. <laughs> and post Little Mermaid, Dis the Disney Renaissance from the late '80s with Little Mermaid and, and and Beauty and the Beast, all the way up to pretty much close to the present day, for three decades, Disney became a powerhouse of quality storytelling. And that's what made it as valuable as it was because if you're making great movies, it filters all the way down through the Disney company, their cruises, their parks, their TV shows, their merchandise. It all is driven by great entertainment, just like any entertainment franchise. The better Star Wars is, it drives it all forward. Yep. So they've got to make – Star Wars needs great, innovative, awesome entertainment to keep it going as a brand. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, when they made Top Gun Maverick, uh, it was kind of made clear this is a, the fond farewell. This is Maverick flying off into the sunset as that one propeller spitfire with him and Jennifer Connelly in the back and Lady Gaga singing, I'm flying in my plane, as they literally <laughs> what was that? into the sunset. I love that song. I'm flying <laughs> in my song. plane. should be nominated for an Oscar. As they literally fly off into the sunset. That was it. It was done. Now, the movie made over a billion dollars. And people started saying, are they going to make another one? And, and, you know, the people on the inside of the studio say, like, this was a, this was the fair, fond farewell. This was the goodbye to Maverick. I mean, Maverick is in his 60s at this point. It is, the movie itself talks about how this is the closing of the age of the fighter pilot. You know, all that kind of stuff <clears throat> didn't really seem to make any sense to go back and do another one. Well, as we mentioned, made over a billion dollars. And it got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And a lot of that can be motivating. And now, according to Industry Insiders, Paramount's moving ahead with it. <clears throat> this comes to us from the Puck newsletter. Of course, one of the probably the most major studio insider trade right now. And they wrote the following. Top Gun 3 is happening. It hasn't been reported yet, but Top Gun Maverick co-writer Aaron Kruger is now officially at work on a follow-up to the 2022 mega hit that will reunite Tom Cruise with co-stars Miles Teller and Glenn Powell, as well as producers Jerry Bruckheimer and David Elson and Joe Kaczynski will either direct, because he, of course, he directed Maverick, will either direct or produce. If that script comes together as expected... It could be Cruz's next movie after Mission Impossible 8. So, couple of big things here. Number one, that they're going to go back and do another one. Number two, that they could move pretty quickly on this thing. As I said, Maverick is past the Air Force's mandatory retirement age at this point, so they got to move on it quick if they're going to do it. It could be the very next thing they do after Mission Impossible 8. Which really makes that announcement the other day that Tom Cruise is moving his whole operation over to Warner Brothers. Of course, Top Gun still belongs to Paramount, so if he's going to do another one, it's got to be with Paramount. So not only does he have MI8, and he's got a new Top Gun, 
He's also got that movie set up over at Universal in the space station. So it's going to be a while before we see the first Tom Cruise, Warner Brothers collaboration happen. But still, let's get back to Top Gun here. I get it. Best Picture nomination, billion-dollar film. It was the same formula that led the never-going-to-be-a-sequel-to-this Joker to now we're getting a Joker. Best Picture nomination, billion-dollar film. I do wonder, what the hell can you make this about? It can't be the return of the unnamed bad guys. Because remember, one of the funny things about Top Gun Maverick is they never even name who the bad guys are. The enemy. The enemy. It's just uh, the target. The enemy. Uh, the bogeys. The, the great nation of bogey. That's, they never actually <laughs> name the bad guys. So who are the bad guys? What are they fighting against? Are they now drone pilots? Do they sit down and are, are they playing video games? Are, is it a bank heist movie? They decide that the only way you can do this is to fly an F-14 over it and drop a tow cable and snatch up the safe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, hey, it's Paramount. You know what else belongs to Paramount? Transformers. Ooh, what if Maverick is piloting Starscream? Top Gun Transformers. Oh, well, I watched that. Now it's a Gundam movie of all things. I mean, I, I just don't know where you go. Miles Teller. Glenn Powell, two superstars in their own right. I, I just don't know where they go, but I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Rob, you hear about this? What comes to your mind when you think about this? I can't wait to watch it. I don't care what it's about. <laughs> no, I, I mean, look, I, the, Glenn Powell, that was a star-making role. He's truly yeah. a star. Miles Teller's great. Bring back Tom Cruise. This is kind of a no-brainer. Ooh, the I mean, return I could, of Goose. Yeah, I mean, I could see this movie like you've got these three guys um, – Maybe maybe they're at ideological odds. War breaks out. I mean, look, clearly our world is getting... Yesterday, we took a joint action with the UK and bombed Houthi rebel positions in Yemen, you know, and, and, and they were just out there firing at civilian ships in the Red Sea. I mean, there's plenty of real-world politicking going on to add, well, we need fighter pilots. You know, we need, I don't know, something... But what, what could be interesting is if you drive an ideological wedge between these three characters, or maybe maybe Glenn Powell and Miles Teller's characters have something they need to be brought together, and only Pete Maverick has to come back and take care of business, you know, come out of retirement <laughs> for one last ride. I, you know, At some point, does he say, I'm getting too old for this shit? Uh, I'm, she must. And as long <laughs> as they bring back Jennifer Connelly, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, what do you make this movie about? I mean, they literally set it up in the last movie that these are the final days of the fighter pilot because you had uh, the drone ranger general, you know, saying this is it, it's all, all finished off now. And I, I, I don't know. Aliens. Aliens. That's right. That's what I call a crossover with Independence Day. The Independence yes. Day, yep. Independence Day, Transformers, and a little bit of zombie goose. And Bring back Will Smith. Oh, my God. Top Gun, Will Smith. We slaps the aliens down. That's right. Ah. <laughs> Come on. Wouldn't you watch that? Of course I would yeah, watch it. Yeah, I know, right? Of course I would watch it. I mean, I, 100%. I don't necessarily think it would be good, but of course I would watch It'd it. It'd be awesome. What are you yeah, talking about? Oh, boy. They're going to sell Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. That's really, at well, the end of gonna, all this discussion. If this was the best ideas for Top Gun 3, then yeah, there's, no, he gets there's off the, nothing. They get up, off the phone with, with Tom. They're like, 
Okay, I Warner Brothers. I think it's great that after like this 15 minute discussion, Ray's the one who comes in with the final analysis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're afraid. selling. Her. I made the most sense. <laughs> I thought maybe we could look at we could look at reality, and uh, Top Gun becomes a yeah. like a real flight instructor. You made the I most was sense. The chat and like license to drive, license to fly. And he's in the, the, the fly. And that's the name. That's the subtitle. Top Gun Three. And then he puts the cup of coffee onto the thing, and they have to do the, they have to do the whole thing without the cup of coffee. Spoon. You know, you know, what I remember you guys know that movie. God. So what is Corey Feldman in this movie? Then? <laughs> yeah, he could still be. He could do the theme song. Remember oh, yeah. the um, remember the Saturday Night Live sketch with Val Kilmer called Iceman: The Latter Years, where Iceman was now a commercial airline pilot. <laughs> and he's probably thinking, what if that's it? What if Tom Cruise, what if Tom Cruise, Maverick is now a pilot for Pan Am or something. Oh. And then terrorists try to take over his plane. And he's like, no way, man. And he's doing barrels. I don't know. I'm, well, I'm down well, trying to make something up. What I got out of Maverick is I, I believe they should bring back Glenn Powell. He was, he was one of the characters that. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, the rest of the characters, I don't even remember. So <laughs> There's Powell, Al Kilmer from. Uh, maybe Miles Teller. Of course, Miles Teller has to come back. He's yeah. Integral. So we got to look on to the, the, the other characters now because Tom Cruise isn't going to do Top Gun forever if they're going to keep going with this Top Gun. Well, we franchise. said that about Mission Impossible after yeah. Mission Impossible 4. They, well, they could bring back Jason Gedrick, Louis Gossett Jr., and Rachel McClish and combine the oh, Iron, Iron Eagle crossover yes. with Top Gun. Yes. Yes. Oh, boy. It's gold. We're, we're printing gold here, ladies and gentlemen. Plus Johnny one, 21 Jump Street. Yeah. Yeah. And all right, <laughs> oh, guys, with that all down, let's now move on to the most important part of the show, which is hearing from you guys. What are your thoughts, theories, opinions, and questions? We're going to get to those in just a second. But before we do, we're going to take a moment and hear from a couple of more sponsors of today's episode of the John Cape Show podcast. Our friends at Harry's and my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video Harry's. You know, guys, in order to start the John Campia show, I had to leave my high paying corporate job in order to set myself up to be happier and enjoy more personal success. Because sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. And that's exactly what the folks at Harry's did. You see, at Harry's, they saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided to do something better. Harry's decided to pave their own road by making beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, except Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. I have fallen in love with Harry's from their foaming shaving gel that feels just luxurious on the skin to their incredible razor that feels just as good in the hand as it does going over your skin. They've got rich lathering skin softening body wash and scents like redwood, wildlands, and stone. You see, Harry's provides German engineered blades made in their own factory that stays sharp longer. You can get a five blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash campia. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash campia. That's harrys.com slash campia for a $3 trial set. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, 
Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my cell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash that's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And thank you to our friends at Harry's and Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, with that down, let's get over to your questions here, shall we? Jonathan, what we got up? Uh, Damaris Love with a $20 super chat. Thank you, Damaris. Appreciate that. Hey, John, was Spaceballs ever nominated for an Academy Award for song? I know you said the song should serve as the movie, but uh, it's an awesome song, and I have a friend uh, from the military who transferred to the Space Force. What What, what song? song? Dink, dink? Nobody knows. I mean, yeah, there's, there's dink, 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 dink. But I, I, yeah, I don't think... No, as a matter of fact, in one of the greatest travesties of uh, Oscar history, Spaceballs was never nominated for any Academy Awards. Not one. Go figure. Not a single one. One of the greatest, maybe the greatest spoof film of all time. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, that movie never gets old to me. I can watch it anytime at whatever age I hit, and it's still freaking hilarious to me. I love that movie so much. I really do wish Mel Brooks, it's too late now, but yeah. I, I really do wish Mel Brooks had done Spaceballs to the Quest for More Money or the Search for More Money, whichever the, the title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, my God, that would have been great. All right, what's next? Jordan Peters says, Campia Crew, have you seen A24's Talk to Me? Yeah, I was late to the party on that one, but everybody kept talking about it. And it it, it is a creepy little... It's really good. Is it? Is it? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's very it's really much... It, That's the one with the Blumhouse hand? kind yeah. of feel. What's it on it? now? Do, the, do you remember where you went? It's on physical media. Oh, wait, so it's not on a oh, streaming? Oh, you might oh, have I'm, I'm sure it's on a streamer media, somewhere. Um, but it's a cool little... like. It's got that great '90s horror thing. You get you come up with a really great little hook, right? Just just a simple hook. This disembodied hand. When you hold it and say "talk to me," you see "talk to" and are possessed by ghosts. That's a cool little hook. A twenty four is cool. A twenty well. A twenty four is hit and miss to me. Yeah, but that's great. They make brilliance, and then sometimes they make stuff that they really is them trying too hard to be brilliant. But overall, they do some really great stuff. But yeah, it talked to me. It was pretty fun. It was a pretty fun little horror film. All right, what's next? Sanchez Guy asks, "Have you, hey, John, have you read any Scholastic books? Are you talking about the, like when they brought the little order forms out to book us when we were like in grade three and four and we book check out? Well, what? Harry Potter's Scholastic, published by Scholastic. Was it? I mean, yeah, I, but, but that's I, what Scholastic, dude, I would always get when I was a, like in elementary school, you get the scholastic order form, you'd order the books. I, I love was, book fair. I was obsessed with books about sharks. Nice. If they ever had a book about a shark, I would get it. I always got Garfield books. 
I, I got Garfield collections. I booked. I bought. And Mr. Muggs. <laughs> and Dynamite Magazine. Do you remember Dynamite? Yeah, I don't, I, no, might I don't be a little. Dynamite Magazine was a magazine that hired, that Scholastic put out. That how it was. It was like Entertainment Weekly, but for kids. Huh. Or in highlights. Seventies and eighties. Remember highlights? I remember highlights. I remember. I, I used to hate them. that. It was always in the doctor's office, and there was too much yeah. tech. Yeah. You can't yeah, read yeah. this while you're waiting. All right. What's next? Uh, Matt Boyle says Catherine Bigelow was one of my favorite directors, and my favorite movies from her is Strange Days. So good. I am dying to see another movie from her. The last feature film she did was like 2016, 2017's Detroit, Detroit. Yeah. which is awesome. It's it's a heavy, heavy, but brilliantly made movie. Now, the last I heard, she has a film in development called Aurora, I want to say. Do you uh, know how old she is? No, I have no idea. She who. just celebrated her 70th birthday. Catherine Bigelow did? Catherine Bigelow's 70. Well, I'll Ex-wife of James Cameron. Strange Days is one of the greatest movies ever. And, and that's not even the one she won her Academy Award for. I know. For. You know, she won it for Hurt Locker. I love Hurt Locker. If you haven't seen Detroit, I highly recommend Detroit, but it's weird to think that it's been six years and that's the last feature film she did. And she's one of the best. She's an Academy Award winning director, one of the best out there. So I, I hope this Aurora thing actually happens. All right, what's next? Raymond Rod is next. Uh, which unnamed enemy will Mav deal with in Top Gun 3? We sort of covered that, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, the bad guys. The, the bad guys enemy. The uh, here two unforementioned uh, bad guys. I, I still can't believe audiences just let them get away with that in that movie. They never even say who the bad guy is. Doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, it's going to be unmanned planes against their... Human <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess. I, I don't know what else they classic. can do. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, Dildar, the glorious. Hey, guys, or hey, guy. You get to see Monday Night Raw this week. Uh, I got to go there live for the first time. It's awesome. I'm usually not a wrestling fan, but uh, now I am. Mm. Tell you what. Um, hockey... I, it's one of those things where I've known so many people who are not necessarily hockey fans, but they go along to a game with somebody and then they become hockey fans. When you go to a live game, professional wrestling is one of those. You don't have to know anything about or be a professional wrestling fan. You go to a <laughs> yeah. live professional wrestling event, you'll probably walk out a little bit of a fan. I don't really follow wrestling anymore. Like I'll still watch WrestleMania every year and every year I'll go, I'll have to turn to Corey and Anna and say, who's that? Who's that? I have no idea who any of these people are. But uh, I don't really follow on the weekly stuff anymore. I will tune into AEW every once in a while because Nigel will be doing the color commentary on it. But uh, that's that's about it. Did you watch Monday Night Raw this week? Um, no, I just just because it's the WrestleMania buildup and there's a lot of fillers going on right now. Oh yeah, it's all I'm just waiting promo. for the matches to be set. It's real confusing right now. CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, uh, Randy Orton. Now the oh, Rock. Oh, he's back. Randy Orton's back. Yeah, now the Rock. I, I don't envy whoever's writing because there's there's so many stars that deserve the shot at Roman. I, I, I don't know. I don't know right. what's going to happen. We'll see. What's next? Uh, let's see. Richard K is next. What's your favorite lightsaber battle in the whole of Star Wars minus Anakin versus Obi-Wan on uh, Mustafar? Mustafar. <laughs> Mustafar. And I believe the prequels have the best lightsaber <clears throat> fight choreography uh, in all of Star Wars. Your thoughts? I like them all. I like Darth Maul. Darth Maul bang, the bang. Darth Maul versus Qui-Gon Obi-Wan fight is classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're all great, but here's the thing. I've got this saying that I totally believe. 
Action without narrative purpose is just visual noise. When action is driven by drama, that's when it's great. You know what the best choreographed fight scene in the MCU isn't? The fight between Cap and Iron Man in Civil War. It's not the best fight choreography there is. But that fight is drenched in drama and personal history and character conflict that it heightens it to an unbelievable level. That's why, to me, while it's not the best choreography, the Luke Vader fight in Return of the Jedi is the greatest lightsaber fight. Every swing of the saber is filled with emotion. Every parry and every move is drenched with the history and the buildup of these characters and everything that's come in the movie up until that point. It's filled with meaning. Um, So that's why, to me, that will always be the greatest lightsaber fight ever. uh, ever. But listen, I'm even a big fan of the... I hate the prequels, but I like the Yoda lightsaber fights more than prequel defenders do. <laughs> I even like the I even like the fact I love the fact that Yoda, <clears throat> understanding that Yoda is only so tall, he cannot fight in the traditional way somebody else would fight with the lightsaber. He would have to fight completely differently, and he had a style and a technique all of his own. And I loved watching those fights. And of course, the the Obi Wan Qui Gon fight. I mean, that's that's amazing with uh, Darth Maul. But yeah, the best one to me is the Luke Vader in Return of the Jedi. What do you think, Rob? What's the best lightsaber fight? You know, using your logic, I still got to go to Empire. Empire, the whole That's Ed, great the one. whole Luke. Because I, look, there's the choreography of the actual swinging the sabers at each other. No doubt that they perfected that. They allowed them to last longer in the prequels. And, which is fine. But the, 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 the duel between Vader and Luke, think about how it begins in the carbon freeze chamber when you've got the most iconic example of lightsabers igniting against the smoke and the, the blue, yeah. the, you know, and but you are not a Jedi yet, you know, and, and that whole battle, it's not just a lightsaber battle, it's a battle of wills, it's a battle of emotion that that goes through different phases. It's almost a story, a three-act structure unto itself to the point where Vader's, you are beaten. You know, I get chills. It's it's the greatest thing ever. He fought him with one hand, and he still won. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's next? Zelda Master. Uh, sick at home with the vid. Uh, thanks for putting on a great show, as always, but more importantly, for today, a distraction. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I should take this moment to point this out. I watched three great things on television last night. By the way, I should point out, <laughs> some people have been asking, hey, John, when is uh, open mic going to return? Open mic's going to return when I've recovered. Um, I'm, I try my best to hide it from the camera as much as possible. My airways are still inflamed. It's still a struggle for me to talk. You probably hear me when Rob starts talking, going, <clears throat> and as soon as, like, Jonathan goes to uh, to commercial break, as soon as he says, and clear, I'm like, <laughs> Like I'm coughing up trying to get more hot chocolate, but, and that's with other people in the room to help me do it. So I, I hopefully I'll get back to doing open mics next week, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. But because I'm not doing anything in the evenings, I go home, I'm at home. I curl up with a blanket. My dogs come cuddle up with me and makes me a drink. We watch TV. That's what I've been doing. Last night, I watched three great things of television. Number one, I got to watch the final three episodes of Netflix's The Brother's Son. 
Michelle Yeoh. Oh my God, guys, if you have not started watching The Brother's Son, it's awesome. Go check it out. I also wa watched what I just found out was the season finale of uh, Monarch. I had no idea that was a season finale. Yeah. Now I'm angry. But the <laughs> season finale of Monarch was amazing. <clears throat> and I watched the, uh, I think the second to last episode. And ultimate. Of um, Reacher. Reacher, which is really good. So some really good TV stuff on right now to keep you distracted when you're not feeling great. Like I'm not feeling great. Yeah, we hope you feel better, Zelda Master. Get over that real quick. All right. What's Dildar next? returns. What comics are you guys currently reading? I'm really enjoying current Wonder Woman run and in the middle of Daredevil Man without fear. Mm. Uh, I, I'll be honest. <clears throat> I've, I picked up the most recent Spider-Man thing because people started recommending it to me. But I have been reading, keeping up with a lot of comics. Uh, well, lately. I'm going to start the Avengers, that new arc today. I'm hoping to go to that comic shop across the street, get uh, Avengers Twilight, the, and then also Cobra Commander number one. I believe he has a new series out. And another number one, I just, oh, the Century number one, which came out like a month or two ago. But I need to read on that. I, that's, that's I've been wanting to catch up with X-Men, but... Dude. Everything about like fall of the house of X and all this kind of stuff. Oh and yeah. That's, a, that's, and that's all the that, current art. It all just seems really odd to me, but I know there's some people who really like uh, it. I, look, the hellfire gala, 2023, the, the massacre. Uh, it was a great, that was like the greatest comic book. And then I got sucked into the, I really love the Hickman, the idea of the Krakoan era of X-Men. Cause John, for me, X-Men was like Star Trek. I love the X-Men and I read them for 30 years and it got to the point where I'm like, I was so bored. They'd done every variation on every story they could possibly do. And it wasn't until Hickman took over and they did House of X and Powers of X, or House of X and Powers of Ten, that I started reading again. The science fiction take, a lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. And now I, I Fall of X, and then they're going to end the Krakoan era, and they're going to start again. I'm in. I just think it I'd seems kind of convoluted. Like, again, I've not read it myself yet, but it seems like with the, the massacre of the Hellfire Club and... The, the the what's the name of the human organizations that's wiping out Orcus. all Orcus. Orcus. Wiping out all all mutants everywhere. You got Summers on trial. There are like four clones of Mr. Sinister. You got somebody trying to reach out and bring this intergalactic empire called the Dominion, which is very Star Trek-ish. So <clears throat> I know it just seems pretty convoluted right it now. Is. But, but so, so is this like hardcover? Yet yeah, wait for the hardcover now. Is no, that, is I, that what it is? It, not yet. I mean, I really hope they do an omnibus because, you know, it got to the point where I've stopped buying flippers anyway because I'll buy a hardcover run. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just, I don't oh, buy it. On top of all that, there's still a bunch of mutants on Mars. I know. <laughs> that storm is ruling or something like that. <laughs> anyway. All right. What's next? We've got Andy who says two of the best uh, of 2023 and under the radar movies I recommend are Concrete Utopia and Society of the Snow. They're both foreign disaster survivor uh, films. I was, oh, sorry, John. No, go ahead, yeah. I was about to watch Society of the Snow like the other night. I believe that's the one with the plane crash of the hockey team. Yeah, the team? soccer team. Soccer team. Oh, yeah, that's basically a remake of the Alive. Alive, yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's a remake of a, it's a, it's based on the real story. So right, Alive right. Was, both of them were based but on But this is story. more true to the story itself. Uh, Concrete <clears throat> Utopia sounds interesting. I'm about to read up on it just to see what it's about. But, yeah, I was right. watch the other one. Well, thanks for the recommendations. What's next? Uh, Andy's back. Can't wait to see Top Gun. The enemy strikes back when Rooster, Miles Teller, back. finds out what that Maverick lied about his dad's death, and the enemy is his dad. That's right. He actually survived it. 
he got bitter and angry yeah. and said, they left me out there to die. I'm going to start my own unnamed country. Well, yeah. And we're going to create a kick-ass air force. And someday... I'm going to finally cook your goose. With balls of fire. Hey, man, there's a tagline, Rob. There's going to be that one moment where he, yeah, these he, exact quotes he tells his son, you don't know the power of the enemy. <laughs> you don't yeah. know it. Oh. All okay, right, I'm next? watching Concrete Utopia. That's it. All right. That's it. <laughs> uh, that looks B- good. BMF395 says, anyone, anybody going to check out the beekeepers this weekend? No. <laughs> I am. I, not oh, going to lie. They are. It's David Ayer. It looks really yep. good. Oh, it's man. a hard pass on me. Statham. <laughs> Listen, does it look like it has a high possibility of suckage? Yes. Yes. But it's Jason Statham who has decided that these telemarketer scammers <laughs> okay, who man, are taking people's money... <laughs> Need to die. That's that sounds oh, like man. it's got some promise to me. I'm I'm gonna be there I for it. So but he's on a downward. Uh, well, at least for the past year, it's been a little this. But you know, it doesn't take much for him to get back up again. It's still Jason Statham. I know it, it's Statham, David Ayer, man. Statham is awesome, hey, man. I think he's a great filmmaker when he's allowed to do his thing. Yep. Like End of Watch is almost a horror movie. I oh, love I love that. End of Watch. That movie's hardcore. Listen, Jason, I know you're watching. <clears throat> to Jason. Mark Neville Dean and Brian Taylor. Guys, guys, yes. where is Crank 3? Crank where up, is Crank 3, guys? Give mm-hmm. us Crank 3. We want Crank 3. Anyway, okay. You can use our cameras. You can use our you can use our use studio. studio. Crank 3. You gotta keep <laughs> the budget is, really low. This is just fine. like the 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 Lucasfilm thing. It's true. The what what's it called? Build the volume, right? Build the volume. Here. Volume. Go volume. Anywhere. This is like the real volume right here. Yeah, this is. So I think like the first one. Jason Statham had to keep his adrenaline up, had to keep his heart rate going. Second one, he had to get electric shocks. Nice. Third one, <laughs> third one, he gets he gets a cocktail poison that he will die if he stops masturbating. And the whole movie, <laughs> oh, oh boy, is Jason Statham we running just, around. They they almost signed until that. The point. whole movie almost signed. You're welcome. Listen, I just wrote the script for you. I celebrate you the release of Beekeepers. And that's what it's called, the true Crank 3. <laughs> crank 3 oh, crank no. it. I just got that. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, I celebrate Beekeepers coming out because I no longer have to see the trailers. Oh. All right. All right. CR... Uh, says Top Gun Three. Somehow Iceman has returned. <laughs> oh no, man! No, no, that's that's sacred yeah, ground. Yeah, don't don't too touch soon. Iceman. Too man. soon. Don't touch. All right, what's man. next? All right, uh, Me- Mega Red says hello from Seattle. Starting the weekend with the JCS crew. Nope. It's icy out, so I'm staying in tonight to watch Lord of the Rings for the first time. What? Wow. It better be the extended. Yeah, watch the extended. No, 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 no. Don't, don't watch the extended as your first viewing. Okay. Watch the regular theatricals as your yeah. first viewing. Then later, treat yourself to the extended. Yeah, see if, if you, you like it. it first. Yeah, no. No. Okay, so watch the extended. Uh, gonna yes. blaze up and jump into Middle Earth. Uh, oh, okay, weekend. well. We, well, I, maybe not. Don't do the extended thing, because you'll fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. John's right. But I... You guys don't understand, like, it's not just lip service when I say, I have real jealousy of people who get to watch some of the greatest movies ever made for the first time. That's why I watch these React videos now, <clears throat> if they're real. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. By the way, he's from my hometown of Seattle. Yeah. You're, you guys are looking for a coach, by the way. I was just going to say, we have to give we have to give honor and, and, honor. and reverence yeah. to Dewey? Uncle Pete. Coach, coach, coach uh, Pete Carroll is no longer the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> winning guys his coach in the franchise history. Brought us a Super Bowl. Two Super Bowl appearances. And he's a handsome, handsome man. 
And the oldest coach in the NFL, he still surfs. He's still out there throwing 60-yard dimes during warm-ups. Mm. Like, that dude's insane. He's staying on with the team. He's staying he on is the staying team. on with the team. So I, got, so I have a lot to look forward to at 60 then, because I should be doing that. He's, he's in his 70s. Okay. 72. Well. Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's next? Matt W. says, saw a beekeeper last night, and it was a blast. I want to say that Jason Statham has become my favorite action star of all time. There you go. There are not many guys left who are legit action stars. No, I mean. Right? Like, Ryan Reynolds can be an action star, but he can also be, like, kind of an Oscar-caliber actor when he wants to be. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, action star, definitely. There's not many left. I mean, it's not like the 80s and the 90s where you could, like, at any time, lift, like, rip off a dozen names of people who are current action stars. But there's not many today. Jason Statham's one of the rare he breed. the top action star for me. Maybe. Least. Yeah, I love him. All right, what's next? Matt, no, I saw it. Did Matt W. Richard K. John, I know a lot of us are assuming that Momoa will be Lobo in the new DCU after meeting Gunn and Saffron, but I was thinking, what if he is going to be Deathstroke? And I think it's uh, too obvious to be Lobo. Well, <clears throat> sometimes things are obvious because it's the right choice. I mean, I still remember back in the day when they were going to be doing, they finally announced that they were going to do an X-Men movie and everybody on the planet knew Patrick Stewart was going to be Professor Charles Xavier. I mean, everybody knew. And sure enough, they did. Sometimes you do it, the obvious choice is obvious because it's the right choice. Um, I mean, but yeah, it's possible he could be anybody. I mean, he he could be Hal Jordan. He could be Deathstroke. He could be Superboy. I mean, he, I mean, they literally can make him anything... But I do think it's going to be Lobo. I, I think it's just the one he was born to play. Yeah. I think it's the one that he was most excited about. And if he's not going to be Aquaman anymore, what role would get him coming out of a meeting with James Gunn, yipping and hollering and hooting and going, woo! Like, Lobo. Deathstroke? I don't think <laughs> no. so. Lobo? I could see that. We'll see. We'll see. All right. What's next? We got Richard <laughs> K again. Will we get a Meg 3? I don't know, man. That dropped off like almost $200 million. But how much did Meg 2 make, Ray? Oh, yeah. It was like three something or four something. Let me look it up. I just had it. It's not bad. I, I mean, it's, they, they, it wasn't a terribly expensive movie. It was probably profitable. It is 397. Yeah, 397. The, the thing is, it was something. so bad. Any third one you make is going to drop again significantly. Yeah. So I, I don't think they make a Meg 3, unless it's like without Jason Statham and it's a straight to Netflix thing. Other than that, I don't, th I don't think they will. But hey, that's just a guess. Just guessing. All right, what's next? Okay, El Baba Yaga, multicultural. First time caller, love the show, love 09 Star Trek. And that what that's what got me into Star Trek. Sorry, Rob. Uh, <laughs> just like the Star Wars prequel series made me love Star Wars. Okay. This, hey. Yeah, now look, here's the thing. I <laughs> I think the Star Wars prequels are garbage. And Rob thinks Star but Trek 09 is whatever garbage. Whatever gets you into Star Wars, <laughs> man. Is good with me. Yes, right? I agree with you. I mean, I, I hate those movies, but I love that you love them. They're gateway drugs. Right? I love that you love it. I don't love it. I, I personally think it's terrible, and that's okay. That does. I'm not one of those guys that's like, well, if I don't like it, you can't like it. No, no, no. I, if, it, if it's what got you into Star Wars, and it appealed to you, and that's what art is, man. Art hits us all in very different, unique ways because we're all different, unique people. And if that's what generated love from you, then that's good with me. I, I celebrate that. But let's say this guy makes the best barbecue chicken and invites you over to come eat. But 
while you eat, he just puts prequels. That's all you guys can watch. Will you will you go to taste this fine barbecue? Yes. Chick- okay. Yes. yes. So there's you don't no, hate him that there's bad. no movie bad enough that, that would make me turn down great barbecue chicken. <laughs> yeah, but... I agree with that too. <laughs> I mean, you put it on, uh, that's fine with me. I'll just enjoy this yeah. barbecue chicken. Hey man, throw on beekeepers, I'm there. <laughs> All right, what's next? Seconds from disaster. So according to the Monarch show, Hollow Earth is pretty much the quantum realm. Uh, LOL. Awesome <laughs> finale, though. I like this whole show a lot. I thought they did a truly great job. They really, really did. Um, I love the fact that it was called Monarch, not Godzilla and the Hidden Realm, which would have made, they, they made it about the people, the story of Monarch. That's what it was about. But they peppered in just enough Godzilla and Titans and stuff like that. Like there's a moment. Uh, I shouldn't say what happens because the episode yeah, just dropped should, last night. Because there, There's a couple in the chat. That, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's, they did a great job with this show. They really did because I got thoroughly interested in the human story. Right. Of it. And um, yeah, yeah. What, they killed what, did it. you get any emotional like parts from the episode? There was for me, like, some specific parts where I was like, I'm going to spoil one thing. It's a conversation. <laughs> it's a conversation that happens between characters. So I'm nothing to do with Titans, nothing to do with any of that stuff, but it's a scene where like, uh, Hiroshima, is that no, what's, what's his name? Hiroshi. Hiroshi. Yeah. The dad? Hiroshi gets confronted with one of his wives. Oh Uh-oh. yeah. <clears throat> and that conversation, Uh-oh. that was That simple conversation took some twists and turns. Like you think something's going to happen and then it's something completely different happens. And I thought the way that whole conversation ended was like, wow, beautiful writing, perfectly done. Really kind of emphasize why I love the show so much. I'm I'm sad that not a lot of people are watching these shows because, you know, when I like a show, I'll go on YouTube after like a finale. I'll look up reactions so I could like see people's reactions. It's, It's a big difference between an Apple TV plus show people reacting to or Disney plus show. There's way more Disney plus people uh, are uh, people reacting to Disney plus yeah, shows like Mandalorian. It's, it's sad that nobody's reacting to for all mankind, which makes me sad, but <laughs> speak for yourself, son <laughs> No, on YouTube. I meant like, you know how oh. people do like watch alongs or whatever. Yeah. There's not all a lot right. of people. For Let's those. keep going here. What's next. We got right. John, yesterday you said TikTok hasn't done much for marketing for films, but I got to disagree. Barbenheimer and Minions Rise of Gru were fueled by TikTok memes. No, there was a lot of TikTok stuff up there, but there was no data to show that they drove ticket sales. That's just just the facts. That's a fact. There was absolutely no data to to suggest that it drove ticket sales. Um, So, I mean, but that's not that it can't become that, right? (laughs) Like... I remember early in like internet development and user stuff, like when Snakes on a Plane came out, I still remember because the, the, all the memes came out and everybody's still like Snakes on a Plane, they went heavy with internet stuff. But at that time, they did a study after it and they realized nobody bought tickets as a result of the stuff they were doing with the internet marketing. Now that event, that started to change and it did change and evolve. And I think TikTok will become a big avenue for stuff like that, especially now that fewer and fewer studios, no studios are using Twitter anymore. Uh, that can become a bigger and bigger thing. But as of right now, there was the data just didn't support that. It, they were all over the place, but they didn't drive ticket sales. And that's going to be the key factor. All right, what's next? Uh, we got Raymond Verrata who says, 
You think people will look into what Joe Coy's ex-girlfriend Chelsea Handler will say at the Critics' Choice Awards uh, this Sunday? Where in the TMZ age? Okay. Um, oh, she might take some jabs at him, probably for his performance <clears throat> at Golden Globes. Maybe, but those two are still, from what I understand, those two are still very tight. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like they've like they've been friends so, for. Yeah. I expect decades. even more jabs. Then. Yeah, so maybe, but it'll probably just be all in fun. I would yeah, guess. Yeah. Critics' Choice Awards have become useless anyway. So, <laughs> all right, what's next? Bixter, uh, has one says, Happy New Year, caught up with slow horses. Nice. And for all mankind, mm. nice. Both superb Apple TV creating superb shows. You know, now that I'm done with uh, the uh, Brothers Son and with Monarch and pretty soon Reacher, I, I think I might have to get on slow horses. What Everybody keeps telling me you how do, great it is. By the way, shout out, to the, it, right? shout out to the Vixter in the UK. <laughs> She's great. Um, um, but yes, Slow Horses is great, and it's, I love this season. Is it really about horses? Is no. it about horses? No. no. Not at all? There's yeah, that's exactly There's what like it's about. It's about oh, a rancher. No, no, I'm, I'm asking, I'm not It's about yellow horses that aren't off. very good. <laughs> slow uh, horses. No, it's oh. about secret agents. Oh, okay. Yeah. British secret British, agents. British, yeah. Okay. All right, what's next? Uh, Christopher Brickner says, Toby Haynes also directed six episodes of Andor, too. He did. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean- that doesn't automatically mean the movie's going to be good, right? But it's, it's, it's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction. All right, what's next? James McDaniel says, what's a movie that won't get nominated for awards that you like so much you wish it would? Wish, talk to me, could get some love, favorite of the year by far. I don't know that I would put talk to me. Like, I thought it was a really good little horror film. I don't think I'd put it in a top 20 or anything like that. Um, man. That's a good question. I don't know. What should get nominated that you know won't get nominated, but you love the movie so much that yeah, I'm starting to feel like honestly, like Air might kind of get a little of a snub. Yeah, yeah. you know, I I, I, I Air's, love Air's Air still in my top ten best. But of the it year. can't look. Oppenheimer is my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. It's going to win all. Oh, these I don't awards. think it's for best. I'm but just we're talking about nom- what's even going to get no, nominated. I, and I think I think if that, that's what I meant. I mean, I think that everything that's gotten nominated deserves to get nominated. But Air, I love Air. It just. It, there's a strong, it's a strong year, but I loved Air. I thought Air was brilliantly yeah. done. It's like I said, it's still in my top 10. And the performances the were all great. They were all terrific. All terrific. Jason Bateman, small was supporting great. character, but he was so good in that. So good. <clears throat> all right. What's next? Harry, uh, Harry Lemoyne says, I'm happy Killian Murphy won. The host was super unfunny. You know, you're doing awful when you have to tell everyone you didn't write the jokes. Did he say that? Yes. Yeah, from what I hear. Yeah. Uh, Again, I don't think he did that bad. It was just flat. You know, it was just flat, which which you could argue is the worst thing that but again, it's just you just proved the point that Kevin Hart was making. It's nobody's gonna no comics are gonna want to do these anymore. Like you got Kevin Hart now turned down, no real comics gonna want to do them. Number one, because it's not a great environment for it. And number two, everybody's overly critical of it when when it happens. Yeah. Was this the first major award show that uh has taken place on TV like the the first televised award show of this year? Of the year? Of, of the year. Has there been anyone? There have been some other awards, but, but I, I think this might have been the first televised one. Yeah, okay, so, so that might that might scare... Do you think Academy Awards are going to change up their thing after seeing what I happened? don't think the Academy Awards are going to change anything, but I don't know any major co- comics that will accept the gig. Yeah, it's At tough. this point, so... All right, what's next? Uh, Christopher Brickner says... Uh, you said the droid business card in Mandalorian season three is dumber than no. Yeah. And I don't like sand, but it's, uh, is it stupider than somehow Palpatine returned? Although they didn't really well, say that, right? Remember, but. correct me if I'm wrong. 
But there's a little bit of a Mandela effect going on. I don't believe the crawl, correct me if I'm wrong, it but I don't believe that. the crawl actually said no. somehow Palpatine has no. returned. But it does say, the dead speak. The, the dead, dead speak. speak. Yeah, I mean, it was completely and utterly ridiculous. But somehow Palpatine has returned isn't actually a thing. That's that's kind of the essence of it. Like, hey, everybody, Palpatine's back. Really? Yeah. How? Poe says it. And, and we just, You know yeah. who it was? The bad guys from Hard Maverick brought, brought him back. Big we pal- don't know who they are either. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I don't know. It's Which but is- the, the finding, first of all, the 1930s private eye trope of, I found this business card on the body. <laughs> and it was literally a business card. Why does a droid with a computer brain need to carry a business card? <laughs> Number one, why is he carrying a business card at all? Where's his pockets? And it's a business card to a droid bar. <laughs> There's just Could layers happen. of stupidity in that whole thing. You know thing. what that reminds me of? Do you guys remember Don- Johnny Dangerously? Wasn't there that no. scene where he's he, he's like, this this matchbook says you did it. And he opens the matchbook. He's like, it says you did it. That's uh, When that's was a, the last time Johnny Dangerously uh, I was, was referenced say, that's on this show? Man. That is a pull. <laughs> Woo, that's a deep Who, cut. Who's, who's Johnny Dangerously? Uh, the, the actor? The Michael actor, Keaton. The, the, Michael Keaton. Oh, Michael okay. Keaton. But it was also that guy from Saturday Night Live. Joe, um, not Joe Pesci. Piscopo? Joe, Joe, Joe Piscopo. Piscopo. He's like, that's what it was. My mother told me that once. Once. <laughs> once. <laughs> Oh my God, that is a deep cut. <laughs> All right, what's next? Mumra says, What 80s film do you wish as a kid had a companion cartoon show? Short Circuit, Goonies, E.T., Roger Rabbit, etc. Goonies would have been cool. Or, or E.T. How about an R rated Jessica Rabbit cartoon? <laughs> oh boy, that's not what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm not bad. Like I'm just but drawn as a this kid, way. we would have turned in. Um, yeah. It would have been muted all over. You the know place. what? I don't even think as a kid I liked cartoon spinoffs. Me neither. I think even as a kid I didn't like those. Oh, you didn't like the rock and roll wrestling? No, I didn't. Except the Star Trek animated series. <laughs> yeah, and I never watched the Star Trek animated series. I didn't even, even though Star Wars is my life, I didn't watch a lot of droids. Well, because they were, you know what they did? They made them for kids. That was the thing. It was made for droids and Ewoks. I mean, give me a cool Star Wars animated so it's like the Boba Fett sequence from Har- Holiday Special. I'll Where watch are the that. E E E E Ewoks. Yeah, they had an A Team cartoon though. I think mm. I know they had a Mister T cartoon. Did oh, they? Oh, right, right. I don't right. think they had yep. a, a, an A Team one though. All right, what's next? Uh, Nabang says Top Gun's Godzilla. <laughs> okay, Top Gun Godzilla and Kong Fate X-Kong. of the Fur. X-Kong Fate of the Fur- Furious. Fur- furious. 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 Oh, hey, boy. someone's going to make it. I, I'm still kind of down with the Top Gun Transformers. I'm still kind of down with that one. Uh, yeah, because that, that would give you like the Gundam sort of feel, like the piloting, transforming. Uh... By the way, where is our Robotech movie? People they, have tried. They keep trying. Like, didn't Tobey Maguire? Yeah, he had the rights. For a long oh, time, and say that they were going to do a, a I, I remember, this was like 20 years ago. Tobey Maguire, they, they, the news came out in the Hollywood Report and everything that Tobey Maguire had the rights now. He was going to produce, maybe star in a Robotech movie. Never happened. Never happened. All right, what's next? 
going to hear from our members now. Red One Real Talk says Tokyo Vice is coming back. Did any of you get to see this or the new trailer for season two? Ansel Elgort, Elgort and uh, Ken Watanabe were fantastic in this deep dive into Underbelly of Yakuza. Man, I want to see this. I, I didn't hear that they were doing a season two. Oh, yeah. And not only they did a season two, the trailer dropped and the trailer's banging. Bang I didn't know Bang that. Bang it. It looks so good. Uh, you know, it's Michael Mann. Yeah. I read the book that that, movie, that that series is actually based on. It's a nonfiction book. The book was really good. The the, the TV show heightens it all, but but um, mm. season two looks great. All right. What's next? Uh, the Brandon Salad says, hey, crew, found the film Instant Family with Ma Mark Wahlberg. It was and, cute. Yeah, Rose Byrne. Like Absolutely it. adored yeah. it. Yeah. A story told with a lot of love. Have you seen it? And if so, what do you think? You know what? It was one of those films... That looked truly horrible. Yeah. Like it looked like it was every bad cliche. But you know what? I had the same experience. What was the Mark Wahlberg, uh, Will Ferrell one? Um, well, about the other guys? Home. Dad's home. Dad's home. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. That was the one I was thinking about. Yeah. So yeah. You know what? That first one's actually really good. Yeah, I think so too. Did it jump to come at, at the end? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> yeah. And like this one had that same kind of feel. Looked really stupid to me. But then you watch it's like, you know what? This has got a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. And it was a charming little film. I'm not going to say it was great, but it was a charming little film, and I enjoyed it. You know what? That makes me wonder, because that's two Mark Wahlberg films right there that said, look stupid, and I ended up enjoying them. He's got that one that's Kevin Hart? on Netflix right With now. Not, not the Kevin Hart one, where one where he's a secret agent, and he's, yeah. his family just finds out about it. Maybe I should With get Michelle that. Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should get Miranda, as Ann calls her. <laughs> I, I should get that one a shot. And maybe I will. All right. What's next? Disney. Nope. Disney Freak says, hey, crew, happy Friday. Just wondering what service you guys use to distribute your podcast to all the podcast services. Um, Where do we primarily upload? What's our main podcast? Uh, Libsyn, right? That's Libsyn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Libsyn. And it, and it distributes to all the other yeah. things. But our primary, yeah, our primary podcasting uh, uh, client is Libsyn. That's who we use. All right. It was owned by who owns Lipson again? Um, I have no idea. I can't remember now. Anyway, all right. Who's what's next? Jay Superboy <clears throat> says, "Hey John, after last night's episode of Monarch, the la well, okay, the last scene. Can't wait for next season's Royal Rumble. Keep it filthy. I just want to make sure there's no spoilers." Yeah, I, I again, I didn't realize that was the finale until today when the guys, said, oh yeah, that was the season finale, and that then I got angry. But yeah, that was a great ending to the season. I thought great that was it. Ending. To be honest. Because it leads into everything else, right? Not necessarily. Oh, they could, yeah, they could stretch that, I guess. All right, what's next? CJ Rebirth says Mean Girls was a lot of fun. Songs were catchy. Love the visuals. Renee Rapp and Ali Cravalho uh, were. Isn't that the girl who played uh, Moana? Could have been. I think that's sure. the girl who did the voice of Moana. I knew I could be wrong about that. Anyway. Uh, they were the standouts. Anyone but you is my favorite comedy uh, movie that came out in 23. Wow. It was hilarious and entertaining. Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney had oh, great chemistry. I've heard it was really good. Oh, wow. I don't but, know that there is a stupider looking movie this the, year the trailer than anyone awful. but you. The trailers suck. But I have also heard good things about the movie. Wow. Okay. Which really makes me think they got to fire their marketing people then because they made this look like <laughs> the stupidest movie ever. But I'm hearing good things about it. Me I might too. have to go check it it's out. It's hard to cut a trailer for comedy. Yeah, to be fair, not a lot of people were prepared at that CinemaCon, especially um, Disney. <laughs> yeah. 
Amin, next? Amin says, PGA nominations just came out for Best Picture. Looks like the same 10 films will be get an Oscar nom. Spider-Verse looking less and less likely to get a nomination, especially with the lack of recognition from other award shows. So don't be surprised come the Oscars. I still believe Spider-Verse will get one of the 10 Best Picture nominations. I still I'm, believe it will. I'm no chance to win. Off. No chance. But I, announce it. I yeah. just, I have, I, every, and it's not like I know hundreds of them, but every voting member of the Academy that I know have said they're, they would definitely be voting for it. So <coughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. What's next? All right. We got uh Callum who says, hello, John and crew. I don't think I've ever cried and cheered at a film like a Top Gun Maverick. I always remember the line Rooster said to Maverick after saving his life. It's what my dad would have done. <laughs> I hope Top Gun 3 builds on their relationship more. It better. I'm going to admit something. I really enjoyed Top Gun Maverick, and I did an entire video defending why it deserved one of the 10 Best Picture nomination spots. Yep. I don't love it to the same degree some people do, though. Like, I thought it deserved a Best Picture nomination, so I clearly liked it and appreciated it a lot. But I think I think people give it more credit than it deserves in some Aww. ways. Well, let them have that. Let other have other than the, the Iceman stuff, which was brilliantly done, um, what's that one line when Iceman finally says to Maverick, yeah. like, who's better, you or me? Yeah. And like Maverick's like, we were having a beautiful moment here. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so Don't brilliantly done scene. I it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. But uh, yeah. All right, listen, we got time for one more. What's next? All right. Um, Zen Quantum writes, the multiverse saga hasn't really had many entries that correct the, uh, connect the storyline, just Loki, WandaVision. Doctor Strange 2 and Quantumania, maybe DP3 by my count. Um, and does Quantumania even count? What name should we give all those other post-Endgame disconnected entries from Far From Home to Echo floating loose in the MCU ether? It's ir irrelevant. Names mean nothing. I, like, I often, I've talked about this ever since phase two of the MCU. I mean, back in the AMC days, I said, there's no relevance to like people saying, well, which part? Is this movie going to be part of phase two? Is it part of phase one? It's irrelevant. The phase names are just constructs. They're artificial constructs that don't really mean anything. Um, if anything, then like the, the fact that they even gave the uh, Infinity um, Saga a name came like after. Yeah, it was retrospective. Up, right? And then um, Kevin Feige again on stage in Vegas and said, calling it the Multiverse Saga. As it turns out, it doesn't really mean anything. It gives us an idea about some elements that'll be there, but I don't really think giving any any kind of naming convention is at all really even important. It's just nice to know when we say phase four, then we have a rough idea of the time periods, but that's all it really denotes is time periods, I think. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? I think so. You know, I think you're right because the the to me, each phase is an integral part of the overarching story. And I think that phases four and five to me haven't done that job at all. I mean, it's it's it seems like Eternals is kind of hermetically sealed. It's like no one knew the Eternals were on the earth for all this time. They had nothing to do with the Avengers. <laughs> and then, then the, no one knows about the, they don't care about the Celestials. Shang-Chi has kind of been. Yep, completely. I like the way you said sealed off. Yeah, sealed off. It's gone into a cul-de-sac. Um, no Way Home, also a cul-de-sac, because at the end of that movie, uh, Peter Parker is, no one remembers him. And Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, where did that wind up? Oh, hey, there's hot Charlie's there. And where do you want to go? You want to go through this portal? I'll go with you. He's fridged. 
or at least for the time being. So where's any of this going? Yeah, they haven't done a good job with that at all. All right, guys. And that's all the time we have for today's John Campia Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. I want to thank the guys in the room with me, Ray Ora. Have a good weekend. Jonathan Voico. See you guys later. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great and wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.